Welcome to the Lucas Roberts Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, ministry, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead well from the start in your personal and vocational ministry. I'm your host, Lucas Roberts. Well, I just wanted to welcome you to the first full-length episode of the podcast. I'm so excited to bring you some of the best material that's available on leading well. Whether you're a young leader or a seasoned veteran in ministry, I think that you're going to find some of this stuff really valuable. This podcast is bi-weekly, so each month I'll bring to you some personal insights on leadership and I'll share some of the things that I'm currently working through. And then a couple weeks later, I'll share with you an interview with a young leader. Guys, I've already done some interviews for the next couple months, and I'm really excited to bring them with you. This month, we're going to feature Bobby Lane. He's a really good friend of mine. He's actually heading to college this week. Bobby and I met uh, several years ago, and we were kind of like kindred spirits right from the beginning. So he and I sat down a couple weeks ago, and we talked about discerning God's call on our lives and what it looks like to change things up when we feel led to. He's a musician and a worship leader and a creative from Southwestern Ontario, and I cannot wait to share with you his fascinating story. I think that sharing interviews with young leaders is going to be helpful to you. I think it's always good to hear other people's journey and to learn from their stories. Sometimes you might learn from their mistakes. Other times you'll learn from the little victories that they found along the way. Either way, it's always beneficial to listen to each other and share all the goodness that God has done. I'm blessed. I know a lot of young leaders, and I know a lot of older leaders who are passionate about mentoring the next generation. And since I started the Lucas Roberts Leadership Series, I've started talking more and more with my lead pastor about leadership. We carpool to work, and those car rides have become a great place to talk about leadership. In fact, one of the things that I want to share with you today came out of one of those conversations. I'll tell you a little bit about my lead pastor, Gregory James McRobbie. He's the lead pastor at Brookside Baptist Church. He's been serving in vocational ministry for more than 30 years. His work has taken him and his family across Canada. He started in Toronto and then moved to Quebec, and then he felt led to a small community in British Columbia and then Alberta. And then he took a job in southwestern Ontario and lived there for like six years. Finally, he felt led to move back to his hometown, Ottawa, Ontario, where he now serves at Brookside. Greg and his wife, Julie, have three adult daughters, one of whom I married. So almost every day, Greg and I drive to work together. Well, until he got his motorcycle a few months ago, and now he drives that and sometimes I just take their car. He is my father-in-law, so that is okay. But one of the things that comes up frequently is this idea that if no one... Sorry. This idea that if I don't do it, no one will. If I don't do it, no one will. Probably even more accurate is if I don't do it, no one's going to notice. See, a few months ago, I was feeling really overwhelmed and really underappreciated. I would present these awesome ideas for new initiatives, only to be met with critiques and challenges. Then, if I didn't act on it and pour even more of myself into the project, it just fell silent. No one even talked about it. No one else brought it up. 
It was like I was the only one giving energy to the project. It was really draining to pour yourself into something. It's discouraging when that thing doesn't even take off. Let me just spell this out for you. Your job is to develop a team. You spend countless hours in front of your computer reading and researching, dreaming of what the ideal team culture would look like. You make a Pinterest board of what it looks like. You make a Spotify playlist of what it sounds like. You even look up a restaurant that serves food that echoes your vision. You tirelessly craft a document that clearly lays out the new way that you've developed. And you have an emotional conversation with key leaders in your organization, trying to get them on board with your vision. And after months, you finally talk to a few people who will be impacted by the changes and you begin to test the waters. In those informal conversations, it all seems so positive. People are generally excited. So you go into your executive You go to your executive and you begin to plan out the hard launch of the new initiative. You start to build a marketing campaign, graphics, a slideshow, and a script for the meeting. You call the catering company and you get volunteers to help run the event. And finally, the day comes when you unveil the new culture. First off, that doesn't even sound right. You can't unveil a new culture. But here you are giving the closing remarks after your big first meeting with the whole team. You've just poured your heart and soul into the project for months, and you get the comment card back. And all it says is, food was good, could be shorter next time. No one praises you. No one's blown away by your investment and your proposal. See, I've had this idea to write about the lonely days of ministry and how to embrace them, but it's difficult to even go there in my mind. Of course, no one intends to hurt you or discourage you. This is just a scenario that you might run into over the course of your ministry. Now, my personality loves to be thanked. Some people don't have this in them. I think I'm a three on the Enneagram. So this doesn't help when I'm in this situation because all I want It's a couple people that come to me and say, oh man, Lucas, I was just thinking like, that was amazing. I can't wait to get involved. How did you pull this all together? I want to help. Thank you for being such an amazing leader. But that's unrealistic. And it's foolish to expect that kind of praise from people. God's love is far more meaningful than man's praise. But it does still feel good to hear like, good job, dude. So what do you do? Well, let me encourage you. This all comes with the territory, right? Great leaders are ahead of the pack. They have a clearer vision for the future, and they want it more than anyone else. I think of great leaders like Steve Jobs and his work with mobile devices that have, it's literally set the standard for what we expect from our phones today. And ministry is different than it used to be. Not that I was really even in ministry back in the day, but from what I gather people were generally looking for a decent Sunday morning service. In fact, I think that they didn't even really care about the quality. They just were looking for a Sunday service. Do you go to church? Yes. No more questions asked. But that's no good. That's just not what Jesus meant when he called us to go out and make disciples of all nations. See, I think that fully engaged disciples don't just attend their local church. They form it. 
and build it and invest in it. They work hard to engage with the gospel each and every day, and they talk about God and the gospel, and they work hard to invite more and more people into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And how can we do that if we're the only organization in town who's stuck in 1980? We've got to work hard to understand the culture in which we live. And just notice what I just said. Work hard. Being a relevant, healthy, missional church doesn't just happen. And I hope I don't have to remind you about the trials that Paul and the early church leaders endured for the sake of the gospel. New initiatives, new programs, new cultures, and new perspectives are not easy undertakings. In the nonprofit world, when a new program is in development, it undergoes months of testing. In the corporate world, people make their careers in research and development labs. But in the church world, we're content to just do the same VBS from three decades ago and hope that it's still relevant. We're content to sing the same songs from 1885 and hope people recognize it when they come to church for the first time in a decade. What's this little rant got to do with those tireless hours of leadership? Well, sometimes you need to lead a movement. You've got to endure those times when everyone is just looking at you like a deer in the headlights. If I don't do it, no one else will. See, I don't know if that's true. That statement reminds me of the story of Esther. And the uh, the wise uncle says, if you don't do it, someone else will. I think more accurately, we should say, in the church world, if I don't do it as a leader in my church, no one else will notice. So it's kind of a weird little discouraging kind of thing to think about, but it's somewhat true. My lead pastor and I talk about this kind of often. This is one of his experiences from a long time ago. He said uh, he was feeling like he was the only one providing energy to the projects that he was working on. And so he intentionally stopped providing energy to see if anyone else would step up. And guess what? They didn't. And as he reflects, he acknowledges what was wrong with that situation. Guys, we are in leadership positions for a reason. We're the ones that God has called into ministry. We're the ones who have the vision and we've got the energy to give. We probably don't talk about this often, but we need people to follow. So there are followers? Yes. And leaders shouldn't expect the followers to lead. Sometimes they might, but that's not the rule. That's just the exception. And it's a welcomed exception. I love when people step up to take the lead on stuff, but leaders really give pathways for followers to serve. They provide opportunities for people to step up into leadership positions or take the lead on certain aspects of a problem or a project. But even those things, they come from the office of the leader himself or herself. So all of those hours and hours of time and energy put into a project or initiative, yes, they are killer, but yes, they are the the most important thing you can do. And let's be honest, if the goal of a major strategic meeting is to have everyone stand up and applaud, then the goal is not a God-sized goal. So your culture shift meeting takes place, and then everyone goes away totally exhausted from all the little activities and complex videos that you showed, and as you drive home, you have two options. You either act or react. I think we actually always have those two options. And and you were probably just catching your stride when you went to that meeting. So as you go out of that meeting, 
really that's when the work really begins, right? So I know the dream would be that immediately after your meeting, you want to feel like everyone's going to take over from here on out, but that's unrealistic. You're still the leader. All you've really done is explain what has been on your heart and mind for the past season of your ministry. You've been wrestling with a culture shift and what that would look like, and now you've brought it to the team, and now they're kind of on board, but that doesn't mean that the team's given much thought. They've just been spewed upon for a few hours. I think we need to give them a break. Give them time to digest. See, we approach these meetings incorrectly. We see them as the end. But as cliche as it sounds, this is just the beginning. You say, I want everyone to arrive a little bit before the service and read scripture and pray together. All the team has to do is arrive a bit early. You have to prepare the scripture and say the prayer. And if you don't want to do that yourself, it's even harder. You have to connect with a willing person and give them guidance as they prepare the scripture and the prayer. And if they're sick on the day of, you've got to be prepared to step in. I guess what I'm trying to say is that leadership is taxing, but it's exhilarating. And you might have caught on that this was sort of my experience. I held this big meeting for my worship team. I prepared for months, and we catered it, and it was awesome. Yet immediately after, I felt a bit deflated. Let's be honest. It sent me into a few months of discouragement, and I think I was a bit resentful or something. But after some time, I realized that I was just telling the team what I wanted to do with Brookside Worship. And that wasn't really leading. That was just vision setting. And it's important, but it's not the whole job. And I didn't quite understand that. Now I do. I think I was let down because I didn't know what to expect. And the team was let down because I didn't follow through. I'm pretty self-aware. I can reflect upon situations pretty soon after they happen. And after I realized that I had just pushed so hard into the one meeting, instead of seeing that meeting as a one small step, I just started to tackle smaller goals with real persistence. I just started doing the things that I had told the team I was going to do. I remember this analogy of the unfolding of Pentecost like this. A rocket ship. The initial liftoff is extremely exciting. There are flames and loud noises and rushing wind, and it's amazing. Then as the rocket ship moves up into the atmosphere, there's these little boosters that help it get into orbit, and little boosters along the way. And I think it's similar in ministry. Sometimes you need to hold these massive meetings where you take a good hard look at where you've been and clearly lay out where you want to go. You introduce a new vision and a mission, and you get everyone all pumped up for the future, but that's just the liftoff. If you don't have small, achievable, actionable, realistic goals to boost your ministry in the right direction, you'll end up with just a bunch of initial liftoffs all throughout your whole career, and you'll look back thinking, why didn't anyone ever get on board with any of my ideas? Why didn't anything ever shape up the way I envisioned it? Why did all my rockets fall into the sea? Guys, while the initial liftoff is exciting and inspiring, the little changes that you make along the way, 
those little adjustments that you make to the team structure and the role expectations and the language and the schedules and the graphics and the physical space, the relationships, those little changes are actually what will lead to longevity in your mission and vision. So there I was a few months ago after my huge Brookside worship team huddle and nothing had changed and I was sad and I was depressed and I was lonely and really just dissatisfied. But I pulled my bootstraps up and I shifted into low gear and now my work had begun. And you know what? I can look back at that shared experience and remind people of the mission and vision because I so plainly laid it out at that meeting. So it wasn't wasted. Those meetings are important. I was once told that there are two types of leaders. Some come and immediately start redecorating the lobby. Some come and immediately develop relationships with people. And the church needs both. Often we get stuck and we become content in whatever is right before us. And we need someone to come in and redecorate. Other times we just get stuck uh, uh, just doing church and we need someone to come in and remind us that God is longing to develop real relationships. The best staff team will have a couple of each type of leader. And when you first start into ministry, your greatest asset is the energy that you bring. God has called you into ministry and given you a fresh vision. He's provided you with everything that you need to fulfill the call on your life. So just trust that process and don't be discouraged when things don't all of a sudden change. If you introduce some new vision for your church, consider the first discussion group just the beginning. Work hard at it. Be clear and concise and have fun and invest everything you've got into it. But the next day, when you sit down at your computer, that's when the real work begins. Now it's time to start implementing all those fantastic changes that you just introduced. You got to write those emails, draft those newsletters, update those policies, adjust those agendas, make those appointments and have those conversations. Do the things that seem really hard. Just put your head down and be encouraged. You were called into ministry because God is willing and able to use you. I can't wait to host my second big Brookside Worship Team Huddle. Especially now that I know it isn't the end in itself. The goal is to gather together and celebrate and plan and envision as a family. Well, that's all for today's episode. I really hope this was helpful. It's painful learning these things on your own. If you found this episode helpful, just leave a rate and review and share it with someone you know. Leave a comment. Head over to leadwellfromthestart.com for more on leadership and ministry and personal growth. And stay tuned in two weeks for my interview with Bobby Lane, which I really just can't wait to share with you. Guys, that's all for now. As always, I really hope this podcast helps you to lead well from the start. And we will talk soon.